Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. My name is Nick. My name is Zach. Welcome to Weird and Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Badass. You still think about the Hodag? Always. We're going to be friends one day. Who isn't? I hope so. I hope I'm just on uh, Facebook scrolling and just pops from my feed. Zach is the friend of the Hodag. I'm like, thank God. Yeah, in the wild. The dream has come true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, shifting gears. Well, not really a little bit, but I got a question for you. I like to start things off with questions sometimes. Lay them on me. All right. Do you like adventure? You know I do. Do you want to travel through time? Yeah, probably. To an era when more than just the ocean remained a mystery to mankind. Yeah. How mythical do you want this journey to be? Top tier. Just the most mythical. Okay, we're going to get into it. Well, if we are going to go on this quest, we'll need a guide. Okay. Enter Percy Fawcett. Okay. He was born on August 18th, 1867, in Dorque or Dorquay, Devon or Devon or Devon, United Kingdom. I don't know how to pronounce any of those words. Dorky Devon. Is it? That's You've... what it is in my mind. Good, we'll take it. Dorky Devon. Yeah. He was born in Dorky Devon in the United Kingdom. After attending the Royal Military Academy, he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Royal Artillery on July 24th. 1886. He would rise the ranks of the British military, and in 1901, he joined the Royal Geological Survey. There was nothing more mysterious to Percy than the uncharted areas of the Earth. And in 1901, there was still plenty to uncover. That's true. Unfinished maps drove him nuts, and he was compelled to fill in the blanks. By 1905, he had been honing... I was going to say hoarding his skills. I don't know if he can hoard his skills. I don't know if that works. Yeah, I don't think so either. He was hoarding other people's skills. Nah, he's just honing his own. Mm -hmm. With the British Secret Service in North Africa while earning the rank of major. Pretty distinguishing. Yeah. But not the life Percy wanted. No. In 1906, the president of the Royal Geological uh, Society. Is it society or survey? I don't know. I don't know. We'll just, you know. I'm learning right now. The RGS. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the RGS had a proposition for Percy. Large areas of South America needed mapping. Mm-hmm. Primarily in Bolivia and Brazil. Mm-hmm. This rubber country was extremely important due to the plethora of rubber trees found therein. Wherever highly sought resources exist, trouble follows. The uh, RGS. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it. That is a fact. It's the RGS, whether it's definitely Royal Geographic or geological. Exactly. So we got it. Yeah. It was selected um, by the South American countries. So Bolivia and Brazil, um, they were selected. They selected the, um, the GRS to act as a neutral third party. RGS. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're on the same page. <laughs> Absolutely. Because there was n- uh, there were no previously established boundaries between these two countries. It was kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. So it was hard to determine, you know, what goods belong to what nation. I believe Bolivia sold, you know, a bunch of the rubber trees to Brazil, mm-hmm. but then so it was like where where do where do the lines fall? Yeah, tossing them back and forth. Exactly. So adding some definition to these areas would help everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So enter Percy. It has been probably well, most notably implied by Fawcett's writings himself that few men would have volunteered to dive headfirst into what many Westerners considered a dreary, primal, and unsurvivable tropical hellscape. But Percy was not many Westerners. His methods were very atypical. During the first of many expeditions into the area, the first of which would last 18 months and result in his expedition reaching heights of 17,000 feet, According to a mysterious universe.org article, he would refuse to shoot native peoples. Now, the bar for treating Native Americans humanely was very, very low. Yeah. And his relationships with them would become problematic eventually um, in other other ways. But let's we're not going to talk about that right now. We're just going to focus on the fact that he wasn't going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. Hostile tribes would eventually become a problem for Percy, but he would come back with stories of other dangers his crews faced during his three years of mapping the region and other, you know, continuous adventures. Mm-hmm. We'd like to hear about some of these dangers. Yeah. Okay. Poisonous snakes. Mm-hmm. Enormous vampiric bats. Mm. Massive anacondas. Yeah. Those are, I'm out. Electric eels. These were all a part of his short lists of threats he squared off against. Interesting. One crew member had his fingers eaten off by a piranha. Ouch. Not good. MysteriousUniverse.org. Excuse me. But yeah, getting your fingers chomped off by a piranha is on my, it's on a list of, it's on whatever I would like to avoid it. I would like to not have happen to me. Yeah. So far I've been doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm counting, I'm looking here, both of our... No, yeah. per, no piranha-inflicted injuries so far. Never know, though. You don't know. You could wake up tonight with a piranha on your pinky. Mm-hmm. What if that happened? I don't know. I don't know what I would think. <laughs> you just swat it? I don't know. Your first thought might be, you might react very calmly. Yeah. Is like, that a piranha on my is, pinky? Is that a piranha on my Are hand? Are you serious? I thought that was the Midwest of America, and there's a piranha on my pinky. Huh. Sabotage. And the piranha's like, I've got your pinky. Are you talking? I mean, it could be a, a talking whole, piranha. It could be. I mean, now. it's a whole thing. <laughs> Do I understand piranha now? Hmm. What was I doing before I went to bed? Yeah, what was I doing before <laughs> I went to bed? I don't remember. And now piranhas are talking to me. Well, that article from MysteriousUniverse.org, which I'm pretty sure we've referenced several times before on this show, yeah, I believe so. Because it, it comes, it tends to hit all the high points. Right. Well, Fawcett also described horrifying bugs. Such as large, they resemble large ticks that attached like leeches. Don't like that. And there was also red, hairy, flesh-eating chiggers. How do you feel about flesh-eating chiggers? I think all chiggers eat flesh, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've had chiggers, and they're not fun. So what if they were big, red, and hairy? Uh, more. I'm more out than more I out. already am. I think you're so out of this. Yeah. At this point, I'm just talking to the space because you've checked out of this horrifying situation. Well, you know what you might warm up to? You might like this a little bit better. Uh-huh. How about cyanide squirting millipedes? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Nope. Moving Moving on. Okay. Well, and then there's the so-called saba ants that could reportedly reduce clothing and bedding to threads 
in a single night. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, not good. Also, mosquitoes reign supreme. Yeah, they do. Do you want to know what kind of weapons mosquitoes have? Malaria. That's number one. <laughs> Yellow fever and elephantitis. Huh. None of those are good. They're all for bad. Us. Also, parasitic worms could induce blindness. Yeah. Also, flies that laid eggs in human flesh. Why does anybody live here? Their larvae then tunneling through its victim. Yeah. Why? Does that sound good to you? No. Why do you want to live here? <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do live in the actual forest. Nobody. Well, why do you want to map it? Yeah. Nobody wants to go there. He wants to live <laughs> on the edge. The edge of the, he wants to find just the most uncharted region. It's like going to the moon. It's uncharted for a reason. Or going to it's the... It's full of terrible things. None of those things I read are fun. No. <laughs> One famous polar explorer... So, like, explorers at this point are, like, just meeting up with him to, like, do the explorer thing. Mm-hmm. So, this guy is, you know... Whenever I read Polar Explorer, I just imagine, like, a polar bear in, like, a safari hat. It's my fault. You don't have to. You don't have to envision that, but that's what I picture in my head. Yeah, I have to. I have to push beyond that. So a guy who usually who usually explores, you know, the polar regions of the Earth, he was dropped off. He was going along the journey with Percy, and he mm-hmm. was dropped off at an outpost um, by Percy because his leg had had been corrupted with maggots. That's not good. All inside there. Another explorer was subdued by a parasitic worm. That ate most of his face. That, no, that right. shouldn't happen. All right, so I've been these are little little bullet points of creatures he's he's had the pleasure of battling. But Percy, he's been okay at this point. Yeah, I mean the anaconda sounds not that bad compared to you know parasites and disease. Yeah, the smaller <laughs> yeah the disease is, is like the smaller it goes, the worse it gets. Yeah, it's like oh, well, how do you feel about letting our guide tell you some of his adventures? In his own words, because he liked to write about his tales. Good. All right. So no no setup. You're just going to hear this story from Percy's word, mouth. You ready? Yeah. Or from his fingers. Lay it on me. He's typing. Okay. So, quote, we were drifting easily along. If I could do a British accent, I would, but I can't, so I won't. Mm-hmm. We were drifting easily along the sluggish current, not far below the confluence of Tigor and the Rio Negro, when almost under the bow there appeared it's a bow or bow? bow that's what i'm okay. the bow there appeared a triangular head and several feet of undulating body it was a giant anaconda i sprang for my rifle as the creature began to make its way up the bank and hardly waiting to aim smashed a was that 44 soft nose is that how you say that it's a 44 yeah soft nose bullet into its spine 10 feet below the wicked head At once there was a flurry of foam and several heavy thumps against the boat's keel, shaking us as though we had run on a snag. End quote. Percy and his team were paddling in their canoes when a giant snakehead arose towards them. Uh Right? He shot the snake and its dead body floated to the surface. And I think it's mentioned that it was, they dragged it to the shore or whatever. But he says it was 62 feet long. I know they get big, but I don't think they get that big normally. As you can imagine, this number is contested by many people who yeah. know what an anaconda is. Uh-huh. So is it a giant anaconda, or is it something else? Wikipedia says, this is how I'm going to pronounce this word. Okay. It could be pronounced different, but I'm going to say it this way. The Yakumama. Okay. 
probably Yakumama or Yakuma. I'm going to say the Yakumama, mm-hmm. as American as I can, means mother of water. Okay. Because uh, Yaku means water and Imama, it's mother. So it's, you know, mother of water. Okay. Referring to an enormous serpent believed to live in the Peruvian Amazon rainforest, the Yakumama is believed to be the mother of all creatures of the water. According to the legend, the Yakumama would suck up any living thing that passed within a hundred paces of it. To protect themselves, the local, uh, to protect themselves, the local indigenous peoples would blow on a cock horn before entering the water, believing that the Yakumama would reveal itself if it was present. It is sometimes believed to be a giant snake, the giant anaconda, or the... Oh, I knew how to pronounce this word one time. Sicilian, or Kakalan, known as the Minakao. Doesn't matter. All you need to know is that the Yakumama could be a giant mythical snake that gave birth to all life in the water. And maybe maybe Percy killed it with his rifle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was going to devour them. Self-defense. Uh-huh. All right, well, Percy's come across more creatures, and I'm going to, well, I'm going to read it to you. I'm assuming you would like to hear another story from our guide. Oh, yeah. Okay. Quote, I whistled, and an enormous creature, hairy as a dog, leapt to his feet in the nearest shelter, fitted an arrow to his bow in a flash, and came up dancing from one leg to the other till he was only four yards away. Emitting grunts that sounded like Ig, Ig, Ig. He spelled it E U G H. Ig, Ug, 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 Ug. Cool. I don't know. I put all those. Any of those. I put all those sounds on the internet forever. Yeah. So that's me. Good. Digital Stone. That's me. It's going Ug. He remained there dancing, and suddenly the whole forest around us was alive with his hideous ape men, all grunting Ig, Ig. Ugh, and dancing. I mean, it's a lot to handle. Uh-huh. From leg to leg in the same way as they strung arrows to their bows. It looked like a very delicate situation for us, and I wondered if it was the end. I made friendly overtures in Maxubi, but they paid no attention. Will this accept Maxubi is either a name of a people's or a language. I would, yeah, I'm thinking language of some sort. Correct. It was though human speech were beyond their powers of comprehension. Huh. So, I mean, if these are humans, that's probably not the best thing to throw out there. But, but the creature in front of me ceased his dance, stood for a moment perfectly still, and then drew his bowstring back till it was level with his ear, at the same time raising the barb point of the six-foot arrow to the height of my chest. Six foot arrow? That's what he says. That's Six foot arrow. Big arrow. So, I mean, whether it's the arrow or he's assuming it's the whole... I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a giant... It's a whole thing. Uh-huh. I look straight into the pig-like eyes, half hidden under the overhanging brows, and knew that he was not going to lose that arrow yet. As deliberately as he raised it, he now lowered the bow and commenced once more the slow dance and the... Egg! A second time, he raised the arrow at me and drew the bow back. I feel like this guy likes suspense. Yeah. He's like, he's like, it's almost like he's giving Percy a chance. Mm -hmm. He's like, you see what I'm doing, man? You can get out of here or not. Yeah. Like, get get off the beach. Yeah. How much of a warning sign do you need? And again, I knew he would not shoot. 
it was just as the Maxubis told me it would be. This is why I said maybe a people, because mm-hmm. now he's calling them Maxubis. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Right. So like, I don't know if he knows quite what he's talking about as far as what people are called, right? Or who is called what? But back to Percy again. He lowered the bow and continued his dance. Then for the third time, he halted and began to bring up the arrow's point. I knew he meant business this time. Is this where like third times the charm comes? Yeah. It's like all right. One, this... you get to the count of three. Yeah, I've done nothing different, and this guy's giving me all the warning signs, and I'm still here. Mm-hmm. So he's probably gonna try and take me out. I knew he meant business this time, and I drew out a Mauser a Mauser pistol I had in my hip. It was a big clumsy thing of a caliber unsuitable to forced use, but I had brought it because by clipping the wooden holster to the pistol butt, it became a carabine and I, it and was lighter to carry than a true rifle. It used 38 black powder shells, which made a din out of all proportion to their size. I never raised it. I just pulled the trigger and banged it off into the ground at the ape man's feet. The effect was instantaneous. Uh-huh. A look of complete amazement came into the hideous face, and the little eyes opened wide. He dropped his bow and arrow and sprang away as quickly as a cat to vanish behind a tree. <laughs> cool. Uh-huh. Then the arrows began to fly. We shot off a few rounds into the branches, hoping the noise would scare the savages into a more receptive frame of mind. But they seemed in no way disposed to accept us. And before anyone was hurt, we gave it up as hopeless and retreated down the trail till the camp was out of sight. I feel like that should have happened a long time ago. Yeah. He gave you three chances, dude. Yeah, if that's all you're going to do, you should have just left. Right. And the leader was like, because the guy pulled the, the you know his bow and arrow was probably like, so he's like, when he drops, like the sign amongst his people is like, I drop my shit. Mm-hmm. And then you guys fucking let him have it. Yeah. And then, oh, shoot, sure, my God. No, but he's got a pistol. Yeah, that he shot at his feet just to mm-hmm. scare him. And then they were clearly outnumbered. We were not followed, but the clamor in the village continued for a long time as we struck off northwards. And we fancied still heard the... Oh, yeah. And we fancied we still heard the... Ig, ig, ig! Of the enraged braves. End quote for Percy. Huh. What did Percy see here? Well, I'm going to introduce a term to you that sounds like a term he mentioned, but it's not the same term. Um, it's probably not pronounced this way, but Maracoxy or Maracoxy is a general term used for what would basically be called a South American Bigfoot or wild man. Okay. And many one uh, many monster websites use this encounter um, that Percy has quoted evidence that he you know battled a fleet of big feet. Oh. He didn't really battle them. No, he flew away. Yeah. He, he, he was in flight. It was literally white flight away from this horde of what he is basically calling creatures. But as Bigfoots. Yeah, but yeah, but as Bigfeets. Bigfoots. That's what people apparently think that that entire, um, some people think that entire story um, was meant to address. But uh, when I was looking, when I was looking this up, do you know... Um, I mean, you can if you don't want to. I know your laptop's closed. But when I was looking this up, have you ever seen pictures of un- uncon- uncontacted tribes? Yeah, like some. in Brazil and stuff. Yeah. Some of the ones in Brazil, they have a very specific look. And they, you know, if anyone listening wants, you can Google pictures and just as a refresher to see what they look like. So was did he actually see Big Feet or was he describing a group of humans that he grossly exaggerated for a story? 
I mean, this sounds like yeah. a native tribe to me. Yeah. It doesn't quite... He describes them in a pretty monstrous fashion, though. Yeah. Like, that they're inhumanly... In, unhumanly, you know? Not quite human-esque, but they right. seem kind of human to me. So some point to this description as a glaring example of his his uneducation and racism towards specific tribes. Because some tribes he was nice for too, but some he just kind of demonized. Probably because this was a pretty threatening situation. It's probably where he ran into hostilities and uh-huh. other ones that maybe they realized they had numbers and they weren't intimidated by him. Right. The uh, the white man's charm. They were like, eh, we ain't dealing with this. Yeah. Pass. So I'm going to throw a little thing in here because now is the time to maybe introduce the idea that our guide is a little more complicated that maybe I let on. Like maybe he isn't this cool, uh, super cool adventurer. Maybe he's got some... Well, let's just get into um, maybe what another explorer feels about him. Okay. But before we do that, I would like to mention that author David Graham... <laughs> let's just get into what author David Graham had written in a book called The Lost City of Z. More on that title later. Okay. But the book turned uh, Percy uh, Fawcett's life into basically an action thriller. And it was made into a movie that just came out a few years ago, starring Charlie Hunnam, you know, Sons of Anarchy, the main guy, Jax. No. It doesn't matter, but that's who he is. Perfect. (laughs) As Percy Fawcett. Uh, It's basically described, um, other people have described it as a total, like, fabrication of his life. So it's like the Hollywood version of, like, this epic, like, journey he went on. Yeah. So we're going to pull in John Hemming, who's an actual explorer, and he's written an entire article on uh, the Spectator website. It's a UK website. Okay. Um, and the title of the article is, The Lost City of Z is a very long way from a true story, and I should know. Was he there? Very specific title. Well, he may have been to the Amazon. Okay. And he may have interacted with certain tribes. Mm-hmm. So he's got this going for him. So John Hemming is an explorer himself and believes the myth of Percy is unjust and undeserved. He had this to say, like it's a whole article that's honestly worth reading, especially since we're kind of getting into Percy here, but I'm just Mm going to share a specific quote because he basically describes this entire interaction, like how it could have went. Okay. So this is from that article by John Hemming quote, after a final survey for the Bolivian government in 1913 of the upper Benai I don't know how that's pronounced that's a that's a, should be a disclaimer in front of the show yeah we don't know how some of these words are pronounced river in the Andes Fawcett went sightseeing in central Bolivia he and two companions were paddled down the big Guapore River they stopped at McQuen's <laughs> on, on its Brazilian bank to visit the Swedish anthropologist Baron Erland Norden Skoldhood. It's wow. I mean it's a, it's a Nordic name. It's got the cool what are the two dots over the O? What is that called? The uh, is that the Unlot? Yeah, the, the Unlot's in here. Norden Skjold with an Unlot thrown in there. Skjold. And for some reason in in the article he says and his attractive wife. <laughs> it's good to know. Oh yeah. She's a hottie, that's cool. Yeah. Who provided guides to take them on a walk inland to visit a people they called Maxubi. Heard that name before? Right. Now, Makurap. So that name's changed. But back then, they were the Mexcubi. Okay. We're friendly. The Mexcubi were friendly in hospital. But continuing on a forest trail, Fawcett met another tribe. Probably Sakurabiat. Okay. Mm-hmm. To whom he took a violent dislike. So he's assuming this is the people he came across as opposed to the actual Mexcubi. 
Right. Because like I said, Percy might not even know or care who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. When one aimed a drawn bow at him, Fawcett shot the man with the Mauser revolver, absolutely forbidden by Brazil's Indian service. He described them as he imagined Neanderthals, or Piltdown man, to have looked. Large, hairy men with exceptionally long arms and foreheads sloping back from pronounced eye ridges. Villainous savages. Hideous ape men with pig-like eyes. No Amazonian Indian has body hair or looks remotely like this. I know, because I've spent time with over 40 different peoples. Huh. So John, John might know his shit as far as what these peoples look like. Could be. These two groups and the two on the heath were the only tribal people seen by Fawcett. He liked two of them. So it was strange that he wrote racist gibberish that, quote, there are three kinds of Indians. Oh, I didn't read that in my quote. That must be from a different passage. (laughs) The first are docile and miserable people, easily tamed. The second, dangerous, repulsive cannibals, very rarely seen. The third, a robust and fair people who must have a civilized origin. So, John's just kind of getting into Percy and how maybe Percy talked about indigenous peoples. Yeah. But a lot of monster sites I came across to use his passage to say Percy like encountered Bigfeet, a race of Bigfoot people, because he tri- he um he described them that way. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna take it for what he says, I guess that's what you would go with. Right. They sound monstrous. Yeah. But that's why I felt it was necessary to throw in just a second take is like, no, he's just maybe he's just being a little offensive toward this group of people. Maybe who, he had a bad encounter. Who weren't nice to him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With that out of the way, saying that maybe Percy isn't the illustrious explorer that maybe I hyped him up to be. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to him claiming to have seen some wild shit. Yeah. Quote. A friend of mine. This is, you know, Percy, a trader in the rivers and for whose honesty I can vouch saw in somewhere about latitude 12 south, longitude 65 west. This is basically the Bolivia, Brazil borderland. Okay. The head and neck of a huge reptile of the character of the Brontosaurus. Oh. It was a question of who was scared most for it precipitately withdrew with the plunging, which suggested an enormous bulk. So he's like swooping, splashing out of the water. The savages appear to be familiar with the existence and tracks of the beast, although I have never come across any of the latter myself. These swamps over immense areas are virtually impenetrable. He's going on. Some mysterious and enormous beast has frequently been disturbed in the swamps, possibly a primeval monster like those reported in other parts of the continent. Certainly tracks have been found belonging to no known animal. Huge tracks. Far greater than could have been made by any species that we know. End quote. So just, I'm going to take a little sip of my drink here, but just muse about what do you think about legends of a brontosaurus roaming the Amazon rainforest? Uh, well, I know, I can't think of the name. I'm, I'm going to guess and I'm going to say it's the wrong one, but the Kelomembe? Mokalimembe? Mokalimembe. Yeah. That's what we got. That's in Africa. Absolutely. Congo, I believe. Another uh, kind of jungle type place. Absolutely. Uh, It's not entirely out there that, you know, something exists still or people saw it hundreds of years ago instead of millions of years ago or something like that. I don't know, obviously, but... 
Well, because the rainforest. I, I want to see a dinosaur. It's so <laughs> thick and lush. You don't know what's in there. Yeah. And do you want to? You want to know some behind the scenes like workings of how this episode came to be? Yeah. This episode was going to be about the Mokali Membe. Oh yeah. And then I, I just changed it because it's. I put him aside. But the fact that he came up in this conversation made me so happy because mm-hmm. that's where we started. And then I fell into a whole different thing with this maniac over here. But yeah. So, I mean, right. Jungles, brontosauruses. People okay. can't see things. Right. You now, can only see like five feet in front of you, so. Exactly. I mean, it's so, like, I don't know if anybody, I mean, I understand. I know you do. How dark it is in these rainforests. Like, the trees block out everything. Yeah. Unless you're by, like, the river because then things can, like, peek out and, like, do shit. I mean, even, even if you just go in the woods around wherever you live at, you know, dusk, it's dark. Can you imagine if you were, can't see five feet because there's so God. much vegetation everywhere? It's so scary. It'd be very dark. It's very scary. It's not, humans were not made. I mean, tribes survive there, but they know what they're doing. Like we wouldn't, most humans would have no idea what to do in that situation. No. We're, our eyes are not made for the darkness. Mm-mm. But speaking of humans, now, we started with Percy, and I know he's taken us pretty far. Uh-huh. But I don't have to say that it's pretty obvious that many people have explored the Amazon rainforest. Uh-huh. And I, of course, just tossed out that perhaps a Brontosaurus or Brontosauruses, Brontosaurusi, may have been roaming the Amazon jungle. So I'm going to contract some of this discussion out to German explorer Franz Hermann Schmidt, because he's got quite the story to tell all his own. Good. He's got some guides. So when he says Indians, he's talking about his guides. All right. One of the excited Indians began to paddle the boat away from the shore. And before we could stop him, we were 100 feet from the waterline. Now, we could see nothing, and the Indians again absolutely refused to put in again. While neither Paflang, he was with a captain, and the last name of that captain was named Paflang. Okay. Yeah, his, his team, you know. Yeah nor myself, cared to lay down our rifles to paddle. There was a great moving of plants and a sound like heavy slaps of a great paddle, mingled with the cries of some of the monkeys moving rapidly away from the lake. For a full ten minutes, there was silence, and the green growth began to stir again. And coming back to the lake, we beheld the frightful monster that I shall now describe. The head appeared over bushes ten feet tall. It was the size of a beer keg and was shaped like that of a tapir. Tapir? T-A-P-I-R? What is that? Tapir? There we go. As if the snout was used for pulling things or taking hold of them. The eyes were small and dull and set in like those of an alligator. Despite the half-dried mud, we could see that the neck was very snake-like. Snake-like, only thicker in proportion was rough-knotted like an alligator's side rather than his back. Evidently, the animal saw nothing odd in us if he noticed us and advanced till he was no more than 150 feet away. We could see part of the body, which I should judge to have been eight or nine feet thick at the shoulders, if that word may be used, since there were no forelegs, only some great heavy clawed flippers. The surface was like that of the neck. Hmm. We'll take a break there. We'll take a so pause. Is, so this is like a plesiosaur type that's ex- thing? That's exactly what he's describing, at least in my opinion. Yeah. With weird claws on his flippers, and he's like slapping around. Yeah. Everybody's scared except 
the guys that aren't like the animals are leaving. The natives want to move. And the other guy's like, I'm going to keep my rifle in my hand. I'm not paddling away. Yeah, I'm not paddling. No, I'm going to shoot paddle. it. You Yeah, I'm going to shoot it if it comes up. Yeah. Huh. And everybody else is like, maybe we should leave. Yeah, maybe. Well, the story continues. As quickly as we could fire, we pumped seven shots into it. Bang, 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 bang. Damn. And I believe all struck. They seemed to annoy the creature, but not to work any injury. Suddenly, it plunged forward in a silly, clumsy fashion. Bloop, bloop, bloop. You just shot it seven times. And right. Well, how would, how would you react if you were shot seven times? I wouldn't react well at yeah, all. Not good. <laughs> Very bad. Yeah. I don't think... If you were shot seven times, I don't think anybody would say you moved away in a clumsy fashion. I think you just fall... I well, mean... Maybe, I They guess. might be. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so clumsy as he fell to his death. <laughs> yeah. He looks clumsy. <laughs> the Indians were nearly upset the dugout getting away. And both Paflang and I missed... It's spelled P-F-L-E-N-G. Paflang. Paflang? Sure. Yeah, okay. I missed the sight as it entered the water. I was very anxious to see its hind legs if it had any. I looked again, only in time to see the last of it leave the land. A heavy, blunt tail with rough, horny lumps. The head was visible still, though the body was hidden by the splash. From the instant's opportunity, I should say that the creature was 35 feet long, with at least 12 of this devoted to head and neck. In three seconds, there was nothing to be seen except the waves of the muddy water, the movements of the waterside growth, and a monkey with its hind parts useless hauling himself up a treetop. As the Indians paddled frantically away, I put a bullet through the poor thing to let it out of its misery. So he just took, he took care of that monkey. Yeah. It's like, you're done. I think he really wanted to shoot some shit. Sounds like it. Seven shots, and he just kills a monkey because it looks like it's struggling. Well. It wasn't doing well. Yeah. It was bad. It was a bad situation. Maybe its feet just fell asleep. That could be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He what was just it? cruising Reddit on the toilet too long. <laughs> and then he gets up, and he's like, oh, I, oh he's like, I got to. He's like trying to slap his legs. Like, Come he's on, like, oh, move, shit. Move. The move, dinosaur's move. coming. Yeah, move. You got to go. You got to go. He, he doesn't even wipe. He's like, I got to move. <laughs> And, and then, then some dude just shoots, shoots him. me, dies. <laughs> huh, huh. I'm sure, I'm sure he fell clumsily, too. <laughs> <laughs> Look how clumsy that monkey fell when I shot it. The fling laughs. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oog. Yeah. <laughs> we had not gone a hundred yards before Paflang called to me and pointed to the right. Above the water, an eighth of a mile away, appeared the head and neck of the monster. It must have dived and gone right under us. After a few seconds gaze, it began to swim towards us, and as our bullets seemed to have no effect, we took flight in earnest. Losing sight of it behind an island, we did not pick it up again. Did they help paddle? And we just or were they well just pleased. still standing there holding their rifles? God, I fuck. You know they didn't. They're like, flee, flee. And, just, and like all the locals are like, you guys, you gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Get to fucking work. Like, no, I look cool standing up here holding this rifle. Yeah, we like we know, cool whole white man's got a gun. Badass, dude. You killed that monkey. I saw how tough you are. Can we paddle away, please? Mm-hmm. Can we go home? Yeah. All right. Well, when it comes to jungles and hell, you even mentioned Mokalimembe. What if I told you there are even more recent dinosaur sightings? Oh, yeah? Yeah. But what if I told you we're not going to get to them this episode? Damn. We'll get to them in a future episode. They're not. Okay. There's some more. Good. There's some good ones. Good. But we're going to kind of stick to South America. 
And there's okay. actually one that is in South America, but we're not going to get to him. Hmm. Just a little hype, a little, little teaser. All right, cool. So back to Percy and the name of that movie and that book, or The Lost City of Z. Well, that's what Percy called it. But Percy's British, so it's not The Lost City of Z. Zed. It's The Lost City of Zed. So Percy, he was all about his surveying, but of course, you know the time frame. He took, and he's part of the military, so he took a little break because, you know, World War I happened, so that, yeah. that took up some years. But he made it out. He was doing his thing, and he didn't get killed. He wasn't in the, trans- uh, in the trenches. He was doing other stuff. But I mean, he's part of the Secret Service. He was, like, spying, like, a, when he was in South Africa before, he was, like, spying on some king, huh. whatever, and then he went to go explore the rainforest. See ya. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he returned to exploring, and then as he was exploring, he became obsessed with the idea there was a hidden city lurking somewhere in the Amazon rainforest. Okay. All right, so there's a few websites that kind of talk about this, but I found the best wording was from jasoncolavito.com. Uh, so just okay. deal with that. Sounds like so, some guy's personal blog. It's it's like a whole thing. He talks about a thing. I, I mean, I'm, that's just... I have no idea what it is, but... No, no, I mean, and I, I think you're basically right. Mm-hmm. That's like if I had my first and last name dot com. I tried to get that one time and it was taken. I was like, you fuckers. Yeah, fuck Come you. Come on. But what I'm going to do is read this little snippet from his site with no explanation. And you're just going to get to deal with it all in one swoop, okay? Cool. Because we're talking about Percy and maybe some of his motivations. And it kind of talks about, well, I'll give you a little bit. It kind of talks about the book that um, the grand guy wrote okay. that, that, you know, um, laid the foundation for the movie. But, of course, as we had heard from the other guy, some a lot of that stuff was just super fabricated to become more exceptional toward, you know, for the narrative. You know, mm-hmm. like one of those, you know, based on real life, but a fiction story type deal, you know, got to make it a little more eccentric. All right. So from this article, quote. Unbeknownst to the public following his adventures and largely hidden from the Royal Geographic oh, Society. Them, Society. Them, oh. Hey, hey, look at that. Oh. Hey, direct quote. Solved it. Got there. Mystery. So we solved our own mystery tonight. Yeah. And it was geographic. It was. Absolutely. That sponsored them. Fawcett had devoted himself to theosophy. I'm I'm going to break the quote. Do you remember us talking about this I before? I remember theosophy a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So get ready. It's been a little bit though, so bring oh, you, it. You'll get lay a, it on me. You'll get a refresher. Mm-hmm. Now, I've just got done telling you this guy's stories and his some of his monster stuff and just him exploring. Mm-hmm. Well, following the example of his idolized elder brother Edward Edward Fawcett, who assisted he assisted Helena Blavatsky. Oh. So the main babe behind uh-huh. Theosophy, yeah. his brother was heavily involved. So of course he was too. And it's not in this article, but our boy Percy did enjoy the occult. Huh. So Edward, who assisted Helena or Helena Blavatsky in researching the secret doctrine and later became a science fiction novelist. So I mean, he, I think he's kind of like his own Scientology guy. Sounds like it a little right? bit. Yeah. Because a lot of these guys went into writing stories because, yeah, obviously, it's a fucking story. Yeah. So Percy Fawcett became... some science fiction. Right. Yeah. And it's just just like a click of a, like a, like a a flip of a switch of whether it's science fiction or all of a sudden your religious belief. 
Well, Percy Fawcett became obsessed with Blavatsky's vision of the human past, and he considered Zed to be an outpost of the extraterrestrial gods who came to Earth in deepest prehistory akin to the first rock cities, the Lemurians built out of stone and lava, according to Blavatsky. Fawcett began writing for spiritual journals like the Occult Review, though he rarely presented his full view of Zed. When he first... When his first few expeditions to find the city failed, he turned for help to a psychic. Perfect. Margaret Loomy Brown, a.k.a. Irene Hay. I think that's her book name. Okay. Sure. Pseudonym. Yep. And Brown, in a letter, fed into Faust's belief that he had formed a special connection to the lost history of Atlantis and its far-flung colonies. Huh. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So this is her letter she sent to him. She's like, hey, by the way. Hey, hey. Well, Bob. Just, just so you know. Your query suggests you've been getting communications purporting to be of an Atlantean nature. Such is not impossible, as Atlantis is very much in the air just now. Such communication might come through sensitivities or sensitives. Oh, so. Go on. Atlantis, like talk of Atlantis is common right now. It's in it's in pop culture. Because mm-hmm. when I... With how crazy this is, I thought Atlantis is in the air. I was like, oh, it's not underwater anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it pulled a complete 180. Yeah. Yeah, so Atlantis no, is floating. I got it. I got Atlantis it. Atlantis is floating in the sky. The no, cloud it's, people. It's just uh, amongst common topics to talk about right now. Yeah. During that time, it'd be like Atlantis was a popular meme. Imagine all the Atlantis memes. I like a good meme. <laughs> I can't even. I'm just imagining a good Atlantis meme, and I don't even know what that is. I don't know. Me I'm still like in the area fifty one memes. Uh, right. I mean that's they're they're coming less sporadically now. It's cause like it's it's I'm telling you, man, it's so far away. It's gonna have to ratchet up again towards September twenty sixth. Is it the twenty sixth? That's or, what I thought. I thought it was the twentieth. Oh know. shit. You might I mean either well, well it's, it's six, part two. It's in a week. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, so yeah, such communication uh hmm, well, I'll leave that in, but I fucked it up. Such communication might come through sensitives. That is to say, waves of released information are being picked up, or a deliberate plan is being developed. So she's just, you know, literally feeding his, yeah, his deranged illusions of, well, his ego or something. Yeah. Fawcett had come to believe that Zed was a white lodge of the Great White Brotherhood of Theosophy. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked about that. Yep. Which we found out it's not as racial as it sounds. No. It's just the whole thing. The transdimensional lot. Oh, okay. What episode was that on for people listening? That yes, yeah. We'll backtrack. That was the episode where I talked about um, the ghost of the Congress Plaza Hotel uh, yeah, yeah. and did a lot about the um, the Chicago World's Fair. Yep. Of uh, eighteen ninety three. Yeah. So we talk about Theosophy in that because there was a high ranking politician who was part of Theosophy. So like imagine like so there's a lot of people involved in this shit. Mm-hmm. It's big. It was huge. It's probably comparable to Scientology it very well could be right it absolutely could be it sounds like it especially considering like he's a famous explorer military guy the other guy I talked about was like an administrator in like the Teddy Roosevelt administration yeah so like everybody's into all this weird shit Mm -hmm. just rich powerful people involved in all this weird shit Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what they're involved in today Mm, leave it I won't don't want this different episode okay so I'll begin from the beginning because it's about to be a lot. 
Fawcett had come to believe that Zed was a white lodge of the great white brotherhood of theosophy, the transdimensional beings or ascended masters who came to Earth from parallel versions of the moon and Venus and Mars. Here, Fawcett's claims seem a bit at odds with theosophy itself, which in his day described the great white lodge as the earthly occult hierarchy of reincarnated masters housed all over the world and headed, at least in 1911, by one of the last lords of the flame, the children of the fire mist, the great beings who came down from Venus nearly 18 million years ago to help and to lead the evolution of humanity. Wow. What? <laughs> that is a lot. That's like some lore for a good sci- sci-fi novel. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. It makes me really want to look up like all these like theosophy books these guys have written. Because what are these stories about? This is insane. Yeah, well, can you hit me with a few of those words again? Like yeah, okay. we got Lords of the Flame in there. Okay, was that one, or did I make gonna, that up? No, 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 no. We'll start. We'll start. We'll okay. So, like, great white as as the earthly occult hierarchy of reincarnated masters mm-hmm. housed all over the world and headed at least in 1911 by one of the last Lords of the Flame. Okay, the children of the Fire Mist. Oh. The great beings who came down from Venus. I guess this is what these people would be. The great beings who came down from the from Venus mm-hmm. nearly 18 million years ago to help and to lead the evolution of humanity. And to secretly control history from behind the scenes, according to theosophist Charles Webster Ledbetter, writing in The Inner Life, 1911, so you know what book I need to buy right now? Yeah, we need that book. The Inner Life. It sounds like a lot. Theosophy. It sounds so much. And this is just, this is only one paragraph. Yeah. Imagine the details in this shit. There's so much lore crammed into that one paragraph. It's a lot. I mean, theosophy, and this is a thing that's like dead now, but it was such a big deal. Yeah. I don't, I mean. That's, yeah. It's a lot. I'm interested. I don't want to be the one to bring back theosophy, yeah. and I don't want to believe you in it. Start a book club, but I want and some. Then we'll, we'll start reading theosophy books. Oh my god! Please, that's the Patreon <laughs> theosophy <laughs> class with Nick and Zach. <laughs> yeah, that's ins- it's insane. Yeah, that's a lot to take in, and that's. Uh, yeah, I need more. Okay, well, I'll finish the quote. Um, I am not sure because this is the guy writing like the article or whatever, you know, I am not sure where the discrepancy arises, but it's probably due to Fawcett's development of his own personal vision of prehistory that combined biblical, classical and theosophical material. So this is what he's thinking about while he's out shooting dinosaurs. Correct. Absolutely. One hundred percent. He's like, I got to find the the lost city of the people who came from Venus 18 million, 18 million years ago. And it almost sounds like. Like he's almost improving because he's almost like adding his own little flair to theosophy. Like he's adding some different stuff because Why not? He, fan fiction. He just can't stop. All right. So, in his last writings before leaving on his ill-fated expedition, so you kind of know where this is headed. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> no, writings his family kept secret for decades. Fawcett spoke of the end times of Atlantis and how Atlantis might have been the fabled Eden. Zed, he confessed, might have been, quote, the cradle of all civilizations, end quote, the very spot where the aliens from other worlds touched down to spark the human race. Hello. He believed he might attain transcendence by entering the city. 
according to Gran. Mm-hmm. So even Gran was in on this like shit when he was writing his like fiction slash real fiction. Real fiction is nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, right, correct. <laughs> his book. So I mean, okay, interesting. The end times, yeah. Atlantis. You know what I kind of want to be a part of, but I shouldn't be a part of, like an Atlantis end times cult. That sounds in. That sounds wild. It sounds more fun than like a suicide cult. <laughs> it does because we just think like you know, and they believe like Atlantis was like a whole continent. I mean, and it sunk like and it connected like South America. This is I don't think it's in here because this is just me reading a bunch of because this is the stuff I chose to put in this episode. I mean, man, there's a lot of nonsense. Like this whole, that whole article, there's a lot. Yeah. And they believe that Atlantis was an entire continent that connected Africa to South America. And that's why a lot of this stuff is in South America, because that's where they kind of migrated to as things were getting real. Because there was some sort of bridge or Atlantis. Uh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, and then, I mean, this is up, this is up to you. Would you like me to read you some more theosophy theosophy would you like me to just it's a little it's not a lot but yeah i didn't know where we were at at this point in the episode so where we're at hit me with it though okay all right let me see if i can let me see if i can just get it because it's got the lords of the flame and the children of the fire mist yeah because i want to know more this this pulled up a google book and are those guys the good guys or the bad guys i think they're supposed they're supposed to be the good guys but i guess that depend on where your loyalties lie i guess so all right let's see Okay. This is from a book that is in books.google.com, you know, Google Books. So I'm just going to read you some stuff, okay? And if and if it seems like it's kind of crazy, I'm going to skim it. Well, it, it will, be, it will be, crazy. be crazy. It will be crazy. I meant like like lengthy or like repetitive. So I'm trying to scan it real quick. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. So this is this talks about this the um the psychic Margaret Loomley Brown, you know, her mm-hmm. pen name Irene Hay. Fine. She's the one who had visions of an ancient continent stretching across the present-day Atlantic from North Africa to South America. This continent was submerged by a cataclysmic event, taking Atlantis with it, and the remnants were pushed into modern-day South America, constituting evidence of an ancient and advanced race. Now, see, this is where people just like feel like some of this stuff was a little bit racist because they feel like certain civilizations were like brown people couldn't do this. Cause she like they couldn't make whole societies. Cause she goes, the members of this race were fair-skinned and had an aptitude for making themselves disappear when approached. So that sounds like powers. Yeah. Their their homeland, which of course Fawcett dubbed Zed, would be his destination. Fawcett also possessed a black stone idol that he claimed escaped conclusive hypotheses from any scientists as to its origin and meaning. Fawcett wrote. I could think of only one way of learning the secret of the stone image, and that was by means of psych- psychometry? Psychometry? Huh. Well, it doesn't matter how I say it, but I'll tell you what it is. It's a method that may evoke scorn by many people, but is widely accepted by others who have managed to keep their minds free from prejudice. That doesn't uh, explain what it is. That just explains how people feel about it. Yeah. But it's like made up measuring. He had some other like occultist guy like give him this idol and he like he gave him he basically like, read his fortune and said all this weird shit to him. Huh. Okay. So I'm just looking here. So but one of the things that kind of hooked him was um, assuming Atlantis is real. Because there was also the story of a powerful, this is from the book, a powerful tribe of Mooses, Brazilian Toltecs, 
who subjugated rival tribes and set them up in a circular fashion over the Moose's city, ordering How's them. How's that spelled? Which one? Moose's. Moose's. Um, it's. It's not like moose, right? It's um, or it could be musus or moose. M U S U S. Okay. Musus, musus. I'm trying to pretend I know how that language is pronounced. I just want to. Yes. Differentiate that it's yeah. not a moose. Yeah. So this powerful tribe of mooses. That's. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the Brazilian mooses. Oh, God. God. Well, over centuries, this tribe supposedly became isolated from all others. All right. Its legends grew, and they managed to penetrate the defenses and convince the tribe of friendliness, came back, blah, blah, blah. Because, um, yeah, this is a whole thing, so we can cut it pretty soon. I was hoping it'd be more theosophy. But I did, I'm glad it reminded me that he owned this special idol that, like, no, he claimed no one knew where it came from, which yeah. that justified that justified his belief in this Atlant- Atlantean city. Well, didn't what's her face say that it was made from lava and stuff? Could oh, it just yes. be obsidian? That's true. Oh, could be. Yeah. Oh, could absolutely be obsidian. Maybe. That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll finish this last paragraph. Okay. Oh, no, never mind. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> All right. I found, okay, I'll keep. So bear with me for a second, but Fawcett speculated that these two divergent theories could actually be one and the same story. This race of isolated people encircled by once hostile tribes in the case of the, cause whenever anything says Atlantean ancestors, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm here. Yeah. The protectorate tribes were the, um, M O R C E G O S Indians. Morcegos, Morcegos, sure. Morcegos who lived in rat and covered caves. Area tribes spoke of the Morcegos called bats. They like to come out only at night. Alternatively, as if they could have disappeared thousands of years ago, or as if they still inhabited the deepest regions of the Mato Grosso. It's part of the rainforest. This, too, was not at all unreasonable, says this book. I might argue, but the book says... All right. Many of the inland tribes of the Amazon had a sense of time that didn't correspond to our own. They would tell stories of yesterday that occurred a hundred years earlier. So words, you know, means a little... It's a little So yesterday just means in the past. It seems like it. Absolutely. Okay. But Fawcett points out something worth remembering. Of course he does. Quote, The 11,000 years said by Plato to have passed since the last of the Atlantean islands submerged could be spanned by the lifetime of only 110 Centarians. So people who live to be over 100 years old. Okay. An eyewitness account of the disaster could be passed on from father to son down to the present day with only 184 repetitions. It ends in an exclamation point. You ever played telephone with 184 people? (laughs) I haven't, but... Oh my God, imagine. And that's just accepting the fact that all these people live for 100 years, at least. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's not impossible to live for 100 years. No. It happens, you know, but... Relatively often. Not super often, but... Mm -hmm. So from this... I'm going to close this little thing out from this book. Sure, Fawcett was a dreamer, but one who tempered wild visions with a true critical eye and oodles of experience. Oodles. So he would set off to the fabled city Zed, but first he had to raise the necessary funds. No easy task. Okay. This is a good quote. This is from Fawcett. Men of science had in their day poo-pooed the existence of the Americas. Poo-pooed. Poo-pooed. Fawcett wrote. It's true, though. It's, they did. And after the idea of Herculaneum, Pompeii, and Troy. 
you might argue that those great discoveries had confounded the incredulous, and this should have been in my favor. As a founder's medalist of the Royal Geographic Society, interesting, he's got an award, he's got an award at this point, mm-hmm. I was accorded a respectful hearing, but to get the elderly, general, uh, the elderly gentlemen or the archaeologists and museum experts in London to credit a fraction of what I knew to be true was a task altogether beyond my powers. Despite his accomplishments, Fawcett's theory of an ancient cataclysm was too much for the powers that be. But Fawcett was undeterred. Before setting off, he relayed the requisite belief in the unbelievable that any true explorer must possess. Quote, I have probed from the three sides for the surest way in, and I have seen enough to make any risk worthwhile in order to see more. And our story, when we return from the next expedition, may thrill the world. Well. Yeah, I got a feeling that didn't go well, though. You know, since he threw ill-fated in there a while back now. I absolutely, yeah, I totally did. So. So, in 1925, he went looking for Zed with his son Jack and a tiny crew and some things say like, and a family friend. So it wasn't even like, he was afraid of being discovered. It wasn't even like enough people to do this. It was, yeah, it was sounds, very little. Sounds like you need like a lot more people for something like this. 20 at least. Yeah. Like a, you need like a whole crew to do all the stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, the gear, the maintaining this, navigating, knowing where you're at. I mean, you just like four guys in a place you're not from. Somewhat hostile territory. Uh-huh. It's not welcoming by any means. No, it's absolutely not. So they went into the rainforest, and they were never seen again in 1925. Hmm. And I didn't really know about this until now, much like yourself, until mm-hmm. I got into this. So, But people who have known about it, I mean, the movie was made, so people knew this was a thing. I'm going to have to check that movie out. Uh-huh. I kind of want to. It was fascinated. It was fascinating and has fascinated mm-hmm. the world ever since. Now, in 2007... The ruins, and this could have been a whole thing. The ruins of a city were discovered in the area where Fawcett believed it was to have existed. I think it's pronounced Keshuga, Keshukiga. Okay. But it's like, it's a whole like Amazonian city that people didn't think was even possible. And Mm -hmm. it's right where he kind of thought it was. Like they would use like radar and like, so like you can see like the crest where things used to be built. Like it's the remnants of like, was it 150 miles? I'm asking as if you or I even know off the top of our heads, and I don't. But it was like a it was like a whole entire city. That's pretty crazy. Uh huh. There's a lot of those. Not, I know. Not like in, just in South America. I mean, like everywhere. Well, it goes into the thing of like you know, not realizing how complex society might have been in these areas where, I mean, before, cities come and go before the Dark Ages. Uh-huh. They're called that for a reason. That's true. That's absolutely true. So. Peter Fawcett's stories were the inspiration for his good friend, because you could tell Percy was a writer. Yeah. He loved to write. Well, one of his good friends was was Arthur Conan Doyle, and Percy's stories were the basic inspiration for the book The Lost World. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And of course, do I mention it later? But of course, no, I don't think I do, but I mean, and of course, Jurassic Park The Lost World was named for yep. Arthur Conan Doyle's book The Lost World. Mm-hmm. So that was... That was Percy's stuff. That was Percy, Percy's adventures. So some of Percy's stories um, may have had truth in them. Some may have been fabrications of a religious madman. 
But let's get just get into some other facts. Okay. okay? Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what else is true? I know some things that are true. The Amazon rainforest accounts for more than half of the entire world's remaining rainforests. Oh yeah. The Amazon rainforest is home to ten percent of the known species in the world. Hmm. The Amazon rainforest is home to more than fifteen hundred of the bird species in the world. Also, I mean. If birds are dinosaurs, which they are, just saying, uh-huh. there are over 40,000. That sentence reads differently if I said the Amazon rainforest is home to more than 1,500 of the dinosaur species in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh-huh. a little more drastic. The modern dinosaurs. Yep, exactly. Like they make distinctions between like avian dinosaurs and non-avian dinosaurs. Uh-huh. Avian dinosaurs are just birds, guys. <laughs> but they're also dinosaurs. Uh-huh. Trying to backtrack there. There are over 40,000 different plant species and approximately 2.5 million insect species in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, and all those bugs sound like they're bad news. Uh-huh. Oh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because in the article by that other explorer, like some of those dangerous things might have might have potentially, but they're part of the legend, but they might have been potentially magnified by um, like Grant's book, the guy who made up a bunch of stuff about Percy. Okay. So maybe some of those things... Just to make you sleep at night a little bit better. Some of those things may have been made up, like the the different flesh-eating creatures and things. Maybe. Because he made Percy's adventures sound almost kind of boring. Like he was a master surveyor who did a bun- go to a bunch of stuff, and like those quotes I read are his quotes. But maybe some of the other stories associated with it might have just been kind of... He was his marketing team. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, we got to make you sound better than that. Yeah. yeah. Especially after... Because once an explorer goes missing, like all these journal stuff was like held by the family. So once he died, like it came out like 20 years later. So like... You know how we like watch Stranger Things? How cool were the 80s? Yeah. This guy brings out this story. It's like, well, my dad 20 years ago was like, what did he do? <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. And the Amazon forest, which produces about 20% of Earth's oxygen, is often referred to as the planet's lungs. Mm-hmm. Many plants around the world have medicinal qualities. Of the plants known to have anti-cancer properties, 70% are found in the rainforest. Mm-hmm. Amazon natives use rainforest plants Regularly, but 90% of the ones they use have not been studied by modern science. As, so basically, the rainforest is magic, and we haven't, we haven't tapped into it yet. Right. As of August 25th, 2019, which may or may not be today, according to a The Atlantic article, quote, there have been more than 74,000 fires across Brazil this year and 40,000 fires across the Amazon, according to Brazil's National Institute for Space Research. That's the fastest rate of burning since record-keeping began in 2013. Now, just recently, toxic... Why did they just start keeping records in 2013? I don't know. It's <laughs> amazing. I don't understand either. It's different down there. Huh. But, you know, right? You'd think somebody would have been keeping track of these fires a lot sooner. Yeah. But that's what... The Atlantic decided to tell me. Mm-hmm. And toxic smoke, and if you haven't Googled these pictures, they're worth Googling. Toxic smoke from the fires is so intense that darkness now falls hours before the sun sets in Sao Paulo, Brazil's financial capital, and the largest city in the Western Hemisphere. Huh. It's a big deal. That's an 83% increase in wildfires since the same period last year in 2018. Yeah, that's not... Huge increase. Yep. Not normal. Nope. Much of the rainforest deforestation occurs to clear the way for cattle ranching, which I've always known and it always drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. To cut down trees so cattle can eat and so we can have McDonald's. That's what it is. Yeah. Cool. I, I know in the 90s, McDonald's was getting in trouble down in South America. 
Yeah, I think that maybe that's why I've always known the same reason you do, because mm-hmm. it was huge. And I always thought it was like, that's kind of, like, we got a lot of fields here. You don't want to put the cows no. up here. Let's just plow down this ancient forest and put cows to eat to make a make a Big Mac. Many of the fires are also started intentionally in areas that are already okayed for that, but they can quickly spiral out of control. In things I was reading, like, they'll cut down a whole area but, like, leave some rainforest. So, like, oh, we have, like, a mini rainforest. Mm-hmm. Well, no, because, like, everything there is, like, trapped. And, like, there's just dead space in between that and the forest, and they don't want to go there because they're afraid of predators or nothing grows to eat. Right. It's not how an ecosystem works. No, it doesn't work out. Compared to last year, again, then de- compared to last year, do you know how much deforestation has increased? No. 88%. That's a big number. In a year. And then according to a Quartz article, uh, during his campaign, uh, the president of Brazil now, Bolsonaro rallied against restrictions on agricultural agriculture and called for the elimination of the country's ministry of environment you know what i kind of want to have for a giant rainforest somebody that wants to look out for you'd think said rainforest you'd think and of course we're wrapping up but um so while destroying the agency has not happened president bolsonaro has loosened restrictions in agriculture so it exists but he's basically neutered it hmm. in closing i'm going to cite that same atlantic article that i referenced earlier because it sums it up better than i could because we just read a madman story about the Amazon and we read about like a bunch of like creatures that may or may not actually exist inside of it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of creatures actually do exist inside of it. Sure do. And we kind of need it. So quote, if destroyed or degraded, the Amazon as a system is simply beyond humanity's ability to get back. Even if people were to replant half a continent's worth of trees, the diversity of creatures across Amazonia, once lost, will not be replenished for roughly 10 million years. And that is 33 times longer than Homo sapiens as a species has existed. Yeah. So, little story about the Amazon rainforest through the eyes of a maniac, and then a little bit of, little little sprinkling of reality at the end, because it could all go away. Mm-hmm. And it's in the process of not doing good stuff. No. The earth is fine, is my point. Right. And if there's any dinosaurs down there, they're being burnt alive. Again. Again. <laughs> yeah. They survived. Yeah. It's the, like, not this again. Those are the centurions who are telling their stories of the generations <laughs> past. Like, it's a birds on fire again. Mm-hmm. We avoided the asteroid, and now we're burning because people want to have quarter pounders with cheese. Shit. But yeah, that's the story of the Amazon rainforest and uh, basically Percy Fawcett, who, and I would love to watch that movie because I don't know how crazy it is, but I bet it's wild if it's yeah, a total I'm, fabrication. Uh, I'm very curious now. I mean, it's a, at this point, it's a movie. It came out within the past like four years. And it was already kind of ridiculous in uh-huh. the first place. Right. Uh, so it could be all over the place. And you said the guy from... Yeah, Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. I've never really watched it. I was watching it, and then I felt I didn't watch the last season or two, just because it. What's you know. it called? Let me um, see if it's on Netflix right now for everybody listening. Lost City of Zed, I think. Lost City, or or Z. Now I've got Zed in my head. I'm going to be saying Zed when I say Z for the next two weeks. Yeah, Lost City of Z. It's not on Netflix currently Damn for it. everyone listening. I wonder how much it would be. I mean. You can probably rent it on Amazon if you, if you care to. I mean, and, and that's probably not very expensive. I just figured I would look that up like while bucks. we're talking about it. Sure, it'd be good to watch. curious. 
right? That's a little little wild ride, right? Yeah, it's pretty wild. And the entire time I was thinking of the Lost World stuff, so. Yeah. That worked out in the end. Oh, yeah, because then, you know, Percy's the guy. Yeah. Because he, I mean, and then all these sci-fi writers, part of a weird religious cult. Yeah, Theosophy. That's happening. Theosophy Book Club sounds like a fun time. (laughs) Because I've only we've only read a, probably a combination of like four paragraphs in this podcast. And yeah, I'm and they're all, all ridiculous. I'm all in. They did what? Lords of the Flame. They came from Venus. Huh. Eighteen million years ago. <laughs> to help guide humanity. Yeah. What are you talking about? I'm curious. I'm very curious. I would like to know. I'm theosophy curious. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested in theosophy now. Maybe uh, converting. <laughs> if we convert to theosophy in this podcast, that'd be a mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. What's your new religion? Uh, well, let me tell you about... Let me tell you about the Lords of the Flame. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> it's such a good name. 18 million years ago. 18 million years ago from the planet of Venus. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, you want me to keep going? Yeah. I, can, yeah, I got more stories. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Scientology, I will tell you this shit for free, and you will sign up. Yeah. <laughs> And then you can be part of our book club. Yeah. Oh, my God. Theosophy book club. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say it now. It ends in us writing theosophy fan fiction. Oh, my God. It does. Okay. If you want to donate five bucks a month to the Patreon. <laughs> For us to write fan fiction novels of theosophy. Well, just to be part of the... How much... Okay. Well, you tell me. How, what value would you place on the theosophy fan book club? <laughs> Probably not that much. <laughs> $3? Sure. Okay. Three bucks. If you want to donate three bucks a month, Theosophy Book Club is uh-huh. happening. Yeah, yeah. If if anyone donates three dollars, Theosophy Book Club will happen. Yeah, because you can you can set your amount on the Patreon. I don't. It's not you know. It's your choice. Like I said, like I said in the last episode. You know, if you want to spend money on like a good cup of coffee, just throw like that much toward this podcast. It's all you need. If you're okay with losing money, just chuck it out there. Yeah, a little entertainment. And we'll, the theosophy, we'll hopefully give you something back out of it. Well, the theos- like a book club. The Theosophy Book Club is now like my top priority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to look at how difficult these books are to find. Oh, yeah. So it's a work in progress. <laughs> so you can donate your three bucks, and we'll see if it lasts more than a month. Yeah. But uh, but otherwise, I guess, yeah, if you want to talk to me about Theosophy or if you have crazy explorer stories, if you've been to the Amazon rainforest. Just looking for dinosaurs. Just looking for dinos. Did people in Chile see a velociraptor one time? Different episode, sorry. Did they? Different episode. I can't it. different episode. But if you want to email us at weird and feared podcast at gmail dot com, you can absolutely do that. You can follow us on the Instagram at Weird and Feared and Facebook, same deal. And if you want to leave us a voice message using the anchor app to kind of call in and tell us a story or anything you want to tell us, anchor.fm slash weird and feared, you can do that too. And otherwise Oh, and you, what helps the show out is if you leave us a nice saucy iTunes review. Yeah. We'd appreciate that greatly mm-hmm. to help bump up those numbers just because, you know, you're listening to shit, we're doing shit. Yeah. Let's we want to keep doing stuff. Let's do the shit. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, keep doing the shit. Do what you want. And above all else, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Boom. Boom.